Welcome to episode 115 of Yins Are Good, the podcast that shares and celebrates all of the good stuff that is going on out there. And you know, we're celebrating all those good people who are making it happen. I am your host, Tressa Glover. How are you? I hope that you and yours are doing well. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for carving out some time to hear some good news. We certainly got it for Yins today. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Greg Austin from 412 Food Rescue. Greg is the Director of Distribution Initiatives there, and he's also a chef. Uh, But in particular, he works with their Good Food Project, which is so wonderful. You're going to hear all about it. If you're not familiar with 412 Food Rescue, here's a little tidbit that will speak for itself. Since 2015, 412 Food Rescue has rescued 30 million pounds of food. They rescued 4.4 million pounds in 2023 alone. Do not adjust your dials. You heard that right. 30 million pounds since 2015, 4.4 million last year. Um, I'd say they're doing some good, yes. And I had such a great time talking with Greg. He's just a joy to be around. Learning about how the Good Food Project works, their grocery bagging program, volunteer opportunities, just so much. And it's all coming up for you in just a few minutes. And we do have another round of Name That Neighborhood. Don DiGiulio is here yet again, ready to give it another shot. A reminder, actually, dear listeners, if you want to try your hand at Name That Neighborhood and probably become Don's BFF for giving him a break, just email us here, yinsaregood at gmail.com, and we'll set it all up. And... You can also use that email address to send us a story of kindness or goodness that you experienced, to tell us about someone you're grateful for, etc. Help us get the good stuff out there. Yinsaregood at gmail.com. One little piece of business, so to speak. We will not be dropping an episode next week. We are working on a couple of new developments for Yins Are Good, and I want to be able to devote enough time to our next episode and future episodes, as well as those new developments. So just taking a little break, and then you can expect our next episode to drop around February 8th. And now I'd like to share a little something with you. This is from the Instagram account of Giving Every Day. So that's at giving every day, if you want to give them a follow. So this post says, a Dutch supermarket introduced slow checkouts for lonely elderly people who want someone to talk to. The move has proven so successful that they have installed the checkouts in 200 stores. They've also added a chat corner where locals can meet for a cup of coffee and a chat. I love this idea. Also a shout out to Kinda Kind Co. 
who was also tagged in this post. So perhaps they posted it first. That's at kinda kind co. <laughs> now I love this, especially, you know, you think about with more and more self checkouts coming in, which I do love a good self checkout, but there are a lot of folks and you don't have to be elderly who look forward to that interaction, to those conversations that happen. And like we talk about on the show, wanting to connect with each other more, to share with each other, to learn about each other, to realize we're much more alike than we are different. And I think sometimes it's easy to overlook that the grocery store checkout line is a place for a lot of people where that happens. So how do we bring this to the U.S. is my question. (laughs) You know, we do have some listeners in the Netherlands. So hey, Yin's over there in the Netherlands. Do you have an experience with those slow checkout lines that you want to share? And I think we need to get them here in the States. So perhaps if we all put our minds together, we can make it happen. The slow checkout line. And now it's time to hear from Greg at 412 Food Rescue. Let's get to it. Yes, let's get to the rest of this good stuff. Case. Get my Jim. open over here. Oh my. Yeah, There's a good. lot in there. I try to do, this is a half gallon. I try to do that a day. Yes. It's good. Mm. It helps me just Doesn't it though? not feel bad. Yeah. If that's all we can do with that's, our day. It's, easy, that's... it's an easy fix to just, I mean, I, you know, I used to be a drinker. My background is as a chef and uh, often you're kind of culturally imbibing, you know, ah. and I've stopped doing that in this kind of, like we talked about role transitions and what people have learned about themselves in the pandemic. So I've pulled away from that a lot. And honestly, that was the first step to recognizing how dehydrated I was. And the second was starting to drink water. So now the combination, I'm, I'm, I'm thriving. That's awesome. In addition to being a chef, you do some work at a place called 412 Food Rescue. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> the rumors are true. It's true. What, they, <laughs> what they've said is true. Um, oh my gosh, it's the best. Can you just tell us, for folks who may not have heard of it, what is it? 412 Food Rescue is a nonprofit organization that has a dual mission of keeping food out of landfills and ending inaccessibility and hunger. So ending barriers to food access. And it's a dual-sided mission because those things are so related. There's no reason when there are, you know, in Pittsburgh, let's say, the figure varies around one in five to one in seven people who are facing barriers to access. Why are we also throwing away 40% of the food that we produce? How are you doing both of those things at the same time? You know? Mm-hmm. So that that little snippet is what kind of was the impetus to do 412 Food Rescue. And what we do is direct distribution. We work with partnerships on the donor side where we rescue the food from, and we work with partnerships on the nonprofit organization side where we pass that food to, we connect them to that resource, we get the food from A to B for them, and then they can serve, you know, distribute their to their clientele. Uh, that's that's the long and short of it. Yeah, it's, and it's it feels good. You're a bridge. And exactly. we are the city of bridges. See what I did there? Oh, I, I like that. But it, as because even as you 
we're stating it so eloquently and yet simply, there's one in five or one in seven uh -huh. and 40% being thrown away. And where is that bridge Correct. to bring the two together? So it's literally what you're doing. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, it's a, I mean, essentially yeah. we look at that issue and you see those two facts line up and you see that it's not a production problem because we're overproducing, right? It's not, it's, it's a logistics problem is what it is. And so we became the beginnings of trying to solve that logistics problem. And when did it, when was it founded? 2015. And I think by 2016 or 2017, there was already, so what, the main thing that we're known for is the organization has developed an app which allows volunteers to function as Uber, Grubhub, Lyft driver-esque helpers in this mission. So the, what the app does is, well, besides exponentially increasing our reach as a logistics yeah. company, yeah. Um, it makes it really easy for volunteers to engage and to help us complete this work. Uh, it, it, all you needed was a point A and a point B. We have those. We know we just established those. <laughs> so now we just need something to tell. We need someone to engage, and the app tells them where A and B are, and they help us get it there, which is huge. It is. And has so much potential uh, across this nation to change the landscape of food waste, to change the landscape of hunger. And that's what's really exciting for us about it. Yeah. yeah. What are you aware of or what do you see showing the impact that 412 Food Rescue even has had in the last few years or year? That's, I mean, I'm not sure how you kind of tally or look at things. Oh, yeah. but. In the Pittsburgh region here, we have so many. So here's <laughs> that's why I was like, I don't know if I should ask this. Oh, thanks. I will do my best not to bore you uh, <laughs> with the very fine details that we like to get into uh, because it's all new uh, huh. ways of approaching this this problem, these problems, these joint problems. But I will tell you that we were just joking yesterday about a 112 deck slide presentation that oh, no. <laughs> it's it's a year ago that we were trying to come up with something to explain to new leadership where we are and how we got there and that one became kind of the running it, it's <laughs> it works but it's also how yeah there's a there's a there's a professional standard there that we have we've got to work on. <laughs> it's like a retreat. It's like it's where you spend a weekend on. to right. present to you. Yeah. So we're pulling that back a lot. And what, a big focus for us is now we have to learn how to consolidate some of those slides into yeah. the story uh, a little better that makes sense for anybody walking into the room. You know, the big ones are pounds rescued. Um, just in general, we have like an overall and for the good food project, you know, that's a little, it's a, it's a, another layer of hands-on interaction with the rescued food. And so that has a couple of different metrics that we work with, but essentially, you know, you're looking at quantity. We're really into exploring equity of distribution and we're really looking at depth of impact through that equity, which I, I don't know if that's vague or if that makes immediate sense to folks, but yeah. when we talk about impact, we're talking about how consistently we are changing somebody's life for the better. Mm. And so when we talk about depth, it's an added layer of quality to that quantity. Yep, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the, those are the, the big developments that we're really trying to hone in on. Mm -hmm. All the parts of it. Everywhere. All the parts yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I do have really specific numbers for the for the meals because I made most of them and my assistant made most of them. So, but do you want to tell us those? Sure. Oh yeah, sure. Well, well you tell we me what order. The, Let's do that. We'll, Thank yeah, you. We'll intro the. You should the good be in charge project. of this episode. Well, I'm gonna you. Well, so I mean, you are really. Thanks. So we're gonna talk about the good food project, which I cannot wait. Can we do a little, almost like a press and pause, mm -hmm. for a little about you and how you got involved and sure. when you started and like what brought you to? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been with 412 Food Rescue since May of 2020, um, coming up on a four-year anniversary this year. It's been really exciting work. I came to this work because, well, where do I begin? What the Good Food Project is, is important to how I came to this work. Uh, what you need to know is that I have been a chef for the past 15 years, and the Good Food Project is specifically a production kitchen for, when we talked about what 412 Food Rescue does, there's that A to B logistics. Mm -hmm. If you get something that goes to B and B can't use it, how effective is it? <laughs> and so we, as an organization, designed basically a stopgap where if, if we know that there's nobody available to use this thing, it goes someplace still so that it's not going to the landfill. Mm -hmm. That place is a production kitchen, which then breaks that food down into a more accessible form hmm. for those partners that we have because we have a whole network of like you know 400 partners on either side giving and receiving right? yeah. so uh it's a production kitchen and we try to make home-cooked meals that are you know delicious nutritious accessible uh, transportable and so what we create there are essentially high quality tv dinner style meals because we were working <laughs> there's so many details. I love it. It's such a long story. Uh, you know, we we're, were totally into long yeah. stories here. Please. Oh, good. We found that when we're working with fresh food, we can cook that up and make a hot meal. And if you operate like a soup kitchen format, because that's not new, you know, you've got that day. Once you heat it up, if you're putting it out, maybe you can reheat it. Uh, you've got three to five days, right? Mm -hmm. With food that was already deemed cusping on uh, viability or, or inviability. Yeah. So you've got five days from that, and we were looking at that, and we were distributing fresh for a significant amount of time for the first two years of the project. Uh, in the pandemic, we sort of really focused on what would be the most ubiquitously, like what's the most uniform accessibility that we could create or, or add as a value add to these meals, and it was frozen you're extending the lifespan of this food that could go any day mm -hmm. to nine months right it's like you're yep. like it's like a an injection of <laughs> you know revival uh you're really helping extend this product's viability so that it is the most accessible you know it's yeah you can hold it in your hand you can hand it out in one second to anyone the, the type of trays that we use to to contain the meals is compostable microwavable ovenable you know, if you can find a heating element, you can get this food hot in a short amount of time. So I, and so that kitchen, back to the original question, <laughs> thanks. Uh -huh. um, I take a lot of detours when I drive, it turns out. Um, <laughs> oh, tangent, I am, <laughs> Big yes. tangent person? Yes. Yeah. Perfect, mm -hmm. I'm with my people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really, as a chef, you can't help but commit to food waste. It's so challenging and so cost ineffective because of 
just industry standards that you you have to keep up with. Whether you view running a business as a competition or a collaboration, you still are beholden to a certain level of efficiency. And if other people are achieving, if everyone in the industry is achieving that efficiency by wasting, then you are going to waste, mm. you, you know? And yep. it's going to cost you a lot of money. And in a low margin industry, you can't afford often to be cost that kind of money to devote resources to not wasting, right? right? That said, there's also a side of cooking, especially professionally, that is focused on creative uses for as much of what you've got as you can. But it's more the model of service. You know, if you have food that's available at all times, you're not going to always be able to sell all of the food. And some of that food is going to expire. And mm -hmm. that's that's something that bothers every chef. I can comfortably say that. That's there's mm -hmm. nobody who like even if you're you've been doing it for forty years, you wish that there were a better way. Yeah. And so at some point this opportunity to to run this production kitchen that was kind of the opposite of that mentality. <laughs> And that scenario yeah. came across my desk and I had to do it. I just had to, to, you know, uh, reverse the curse, so to speak, mm -hmm. on, on years of doing something that didn't feel quite uh, optimal or like a good expression of my values. Yeah. So I took it and it's been, you know, I one of the first things I did was, well, let's really make this program sing, so to speak. Like we, so what we do is we don't use any purchased ingredients. It's all completely reliant on what donations we receive. Mm. Now we're super well connected in the area with all kinds of donors, so it shouldn't, ostensibly, it shouldn't be so challenging to just get everything you would need to make whatever you would want to make. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, you should learn how to substitute, which is what you do in a commercial kitchen or in any, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. So that was my first big initiative was just like, okay, Part of the definition of this project is it is strictly donation-based. We are only working, just to prove a point, kind of, yep. that there's so much out there. It's possible that you that can absolutely that you do can it. You can absolutely just feed is, people with, yeah. with just the waste, quote-unquote. Yeah. So we did that. And then our next thing was, well, what if, because we're doing that, we're not necessarily, you know, we're not contributing to the waste stream in the same way. What does it look like if we try to waste, you know, as little as possible or nothing at all. And so our next initiative became like a zero waste operation. We start composting our scraps. We are reusing as much as possible, kind of, you know, keeping the same mentality that we have as commercial kitchen chefs. Like if you can make a soup out of the bones of something, you're going to, because mm -hmm. that's saving your bottom line, right? So we operate under those auspices and we found that we, in combination with another program in, in the same building, um, which does grocery bags, which we can also talk about. Sure. Uh, eventually. A little <laughs> set myself up for the detour there. I later. like that. Thank you. Thank uh -huh. you. I'm learning. Uh -huh. uh, those two programs in combination, as far as a ratio of waste to pounds processed and turned into meals or bags, 0.003% mm -hmm. went in the trash. And that we're talking mm -hmm. in a year, we're talking about 150,000 plus pounds. So we're talking like 18, 19 pounds of actual landfill trash. Listeners, my, my mouth is just agape right now. Sorry, it makes it very, it's, it's we'll very- We'll edit out how long the silence was <laughs> <laughs> later. Just picture it, mouth agape for several seconds. And yeah. what does that feel like for you? Like when so you start good. to get those numbers? So good. 
really, really good. It just, I mean, the point for me personally was to make it as operationally sound as possible to prove this concept because I've known as a chef for 15 years that it's possible, mm -hmm. right? It's possible with the right resources allocated to this. You can do that. Mm -hmm. So the next question that hopefully we'll be able to pose to the public is like, how can we, you know, knowing that it can be done, how can we bring that back into the industry? Is, could you give us an example of a dish that you've made out of like ingredients you've gotten? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you've I mean, done we it once a, or twice, yeah, yeah. I know, I'm asking. We make a lot of, I mean, so another aspect of this work, especially with the production kitchen part of things is, I wanna make it as accessible as possible. I can't stress that enough. You know, mm -hmm. I could go absolutely hog wild and make some really crazy stuff with the amount of crazy ingredients that I'm getting. <laughs> But really, it's it's been humbling to kind of subvert that um, impetus, that drive, and turn it back into service to the community and say, like, well, how can I make this crazy thing as normal and appealing as possible? Right? Imagine that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a whole it's a 180. Yeah, I'll tell you that because yeah. I'm not I'm not there to impress. I'm there to feed. You know, mm -hmm. I want it to, I want it to be good. I want it to be impressive to some, <laughs> but like what impresses this group doesn't necessarily impress this group. And so again, along with like extending, what's the point of extending all that shelf life if nobody knows what's in there. Right. So being, you know, we do a lot of, I pull it down into more categories than I do like recipes. Mm -hmm. um, and we do a lot of stews. We do a lot of African-American foodways is, is a big one that we just stick within because it's comforting to so many people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, we'll do ribs. Part of it is that we receive things that other groups, other nonprofits can't use. And so there is kind of some level of consistency that we start to see over a long enough timeline. Oh, sure. And so often it's something that's big and uncookable, <laughs> you know, like for like a non-professional, you don't want, it's like something you just don't want to deal with. It's like a 40 pound brisket or something, right? Oh my, or a yeah. pork, you know, like a whole case of pork butts that you may just not have the facility or the time to deal with. So that we do, that's what we're here to do. <laughs> and so that determines a lot of those template kind of mm -hmm. what we do. We'll do a brisket. We'll do, um, all these traditional kind of approaches to comfort foods. So if that answer, and then, you know, yeah. sometimes we'll do like whatever peanut butter satay noodle type of thing. Like anything goes. That has to is that has to be fun, that creative part of it and that even when you said of course there is some consistency to it yeah. ingredient wise, but that has to be fun. When you get like, oh, it what is, can we yeah. do? It is. It's it, some pressure. It was of course, terrifying too. at first. Yeah. I was gonna say it also <laughs> the has to be that. First year and a half <laughs> was terrifying, but educational, mm. to say the least. Um, it took a little while to switch that mindset, repeatedly getting something that just was just a little off what you hoped for. Yeah. And then you learn to stop worrying about what you hoped for. Mm. And just learn, you kind of learn how to mobilize. Yeah, I was gonna ask you if there was something, I know there are many, but something in particular that you've learned or that I'm really good now at, even if it seems like there's absolutely nothing in my fridge, I can pull something together in a way that I never could before. I would have gone to the grocery store and gotten the chives or whatever. You yes, know, like, yes. How, how many folks are working in your kitchen? I'm so glad you asked. Oh. 
so much of this, and I just want to be so grateful when I say this, so much of this is only possible with the help of two entities. One of those entities is my assistant kitchen manager, Alexa Waugh. She has understood the assignment in ways that I could have only dreamed of huh. uh, and really allowed me to have the time to even be here with you today yeah. and to step away from the kitchen. Um, yeah, she gets it and she's absolutely the best. She's crushing it. And so that's one. The other entity, I say entities because um, the volunteers that come and help us, a lot of this is volunteer driven. It was not uh, when we first implemented. Like I said, I've been there for four years. I mentioned at the beginning of this that I started in May of 2020. So throughout the majority of the pandemic, we were unable to activate with volunteers, right? As soon as we could, the response has been just so heartwarming. And we have regulars who are our friends now and people who just want to hang out and cook and chat and yes, feed, the, yes, feed yes. the people. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a, there's a, a wide team of, of people who I'm speaking about, but I couldn't do it without them. And I guess a third entity would be our volunteer engagement manager, Haley, who oh, there you <laughs> also helps coordinate all of that in, in ways that I couldn't be more grateful for. And do folks just go to your website, like, yeah, especially people up, listening yeah. now who are like, yes, I would love to, yeah. what a great way to, you know, I love to cook, I love to chat, I love to hang. I Absolutely. Those <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, right? Yeah. Okay, so you can. Yeah, you can do that. Okay, um, you go to our there. website, 412foodrescue.org. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's probably some W's at the beginning of that, but you could type anything in at this point. The internet it's true, isn't gets it? it. Yeah. I know, um, I know, which is good and scary at the same time, I feel. Convenience, mm. yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, yes, you. there are a couple of programs. This one is called The Good Food Project. We do shifts in about three to four hours, and they're flexible. You can come and go as you need. We would just love to see you. You can sign up. We usually have it two months out you can sign up so if it's booked just check back in a week or so and we'll have a new month up or something oh cool um, it's super fun that seems uh, uh -huh. we, it's you get to be on chopped without the cameras i think it's a good first step even mm -hmm. maybe if you're thinking about chopped, it's like try it without the cameras practice yeah and then we will let you design a meal if you <laughs> really <laughs> if you do so desire yeah okay and all right the shopping bags you put it up there let's hit that point Oh, yeah, right, the grocery bags. Yes. Grocery bags, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. You got it. I was like, well, they all go out in shopping bags. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the meals, Chris, the, the groceries. Please be more specific. No, you're fine. Because yeah, um, to me, it made sense, but I realized it might have seemed like that was out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I'm like, sharp left. No, you're but great. But I was thinking yeah, yeah. about that. You got it. Um, yeah. So we, one of the things that allowed us, like I said, to achieve that super low uh, waste ratio, we integrated a program that was already in existence that was essentially doing the same thing that we did as a production kitchen, but with kind of the best of the best fresh produce that we receive. Or just, you know, one thing about 412 Food Rescue's model, we talked, there's so many details. <laughs> we talked about direct distribution. That is a special important note about what we do. Because of the amount of time that we are distributing food within, we are able to take donations that some other organizations may not be able to work with uh, in time. So 80% of what 412 Food Rescue rescues and transports is fresh, which mm. is, you know, you hear when you go to donate something, you hear a lot of non-perishables, you, yeah. you know, that stuff is super important. There's nutrition there. It's got to be both. So what we're trying to do is a lot of supplementing. So part of that supplementing is 
the grocery bagging program, which we take a lot of that fresh stuff and we basically value add by curating a grocery bag for a family. Hmm. So we've done in the past probably about 520 to 560 bags a week, year round. Um, this year we uh, we'll get into the, the, if you have a synth, a dark synth tone to play, <laughs> cue it now. We'll get into like the, the dark stuff in a uh. second. But the highlight is we have still been able to produce about 160 bags a week this year. We'll be back to five in no time, mm -hmm. to 500. We had in the, so we had operational efficiency. We had all this great synergy between these two programs because what we could use as a kitchen, I touched it again. Uh, <laughs> I touched the mic again. Sorry, <laughs> it's everybody. Mice, it's just... uh, I speak a lot with my hands. You can't see that, but maybe you'll hear the friction uh, as <laughs> yeah. it happens in real yeah. time. So we found the kitchen was able to use certain ingredients and the fresh produce bags were able to use certain ingredients. And that's what really contributed that diversification of need really really made it work, which mm -hmm. is, that's what brought that waste to nothing, right? Mm -hmm. We had, in the space that we jointly operated, we had a fire at the beginning of 2023. I don't know if anybody told you about this. You know, I was yeah. going to say, <clears throat> um, I meant to mention this, that your kitchen's in Millville, right? It so is. it's that, so Jen has been on from Spretzatora. Uh, oh, she was probably within yeah. our first 20 episodes. I mean, she was cool. on early on. Cool. And so that's where I know you from. You came there. Yes, I did. Yes, we did it. We did it, <laughs> listeners. When we first set eyes on each other, when we met to start talking, you said, "I know you." Like, wait, you look. I know you too. I look familiar. We could not figure it out. That's it. That's exactly it. Oh, thank you. We can just end our chat that feels now. So on here. Good. Let's just go. Let's go out. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. We're you've talking. been there, so I've you've been, been to the there. space. That's cool. Um, that space. So there was, and for oh my gosh, yeah, yes, the so, fire. And I, I, I always. I have to say this, it was not kitchen related. We didn't do that. <laughs> I just need everybody to know this. Uh, for my own, uh, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thanks. Yes, not kitchen for posterity. related in any way. Yeah, got it. it's, yeah. We can take, you want to take a dramatic pause after that just to let it settle in? Okay. Yes, thank you. Okay. Very good. You're uh, welcome. I feel good, yeah. Mm -hmm. feels good. Um, so that significantly affected our operations. We had to send the program we had to separate the programs like we had to put them on timeout in two different rooms <laughs> yeah. unfortunately yeah. <laughs> um and so we've operated throughout the entirety of 2023 under that system um and so it limited capacity for both programs mm -hmm. we lost the synergy but we also in the new spaces had just less kind of of what was working about that space for us good news is we just recently got the top floor good to go the kitchen's back in Yay. And as soon as possible, we're going to bring the downstairs back in as well. The, so there were two floors. One is renovated now from post-fire, and the other is under reconstruction. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really looking forward to getting back to our kind of, we had just established our stride. And now yeah. the, the thing that I did want to highlight when I, you know, the thing that's special about this last year is even with that setback, there's been a, just a ton, an outpouring of support from our partners, under, being understanding about what we can and can't commit to for the year, um, from our, you know, all of our clients, all of our stakeholders, our team members, you know, internally, there's been an outpouring of support. Uh, it's just, it's made us so much more resilient and mm -hmm. so excited to get back to prior and better impact. Mm. So that's the, that's the keynote of the, the good part that's of this. That's it. That's right. Yeah. 
people, I mean, helping each other and finding, and, and you're still going, you're yeah. still doing it. Exactly. So, yeah, so this is, okay, this is incredible, so, because the grocery bags, it's like you have it covered, you have the frozen elements, you have grocery bags. That's what I love thinking about all of the ways that accessibility, how people may need it, in addition to what do people need? I, and I'm glad you touched on that. That is what I consider my job to be, is it's, it's product development. It's, it's mm. market research and product development to serve a community, right? What are we missing from our operation? What, we have this one product, let's say we're back in 2015, we have this one product that is, we bring food. We don't know what it will be, but we bring it. If there's a problem with that food, that's an opportunity, right? Mm. If there's a problem with how that food is being received, that is, that is not a problem, it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And our job is to seek out the most efficacious of those opportunities and, our, and how we can approach them. Hmm. Is there something that you love most about what you're doing? I think it's that. I think it's hmm. being able to turn the same way that I had to do that 180 of like how I cook, to turn it into a, like a direct human service, right? Mm -hmm. It's taking the idea of operational efficiency or, you know, just business success, right? And turning it into a, such a pure, direct service, it really scratches a lot of different itches for me. There's these big, broad strokes where we think about, well, what happens if you scale this? What does this look like on a statewide level or a regional or a national, right? Or, and, and then there's this also this finite, direct palpable impact on the day-to-day -day that you know you're committing to. That's rarely achieved simultaneously, right? Right. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. So th that's my favorite thing about it. And knowing it's folks, it's faces, it's families right there. Yeah. Is there anything that we, I, we could keep talking. I can't believe how much time yeah. so We could just yeah. keep talking. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, we should. I You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. Please. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh my gosh, such a pleasure to reconnect with you since we established that we already oh have God. been in the same room before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the same. Oh my gosh. But is there anything else you, you know, want to let folks know about? We've got yeah. a couple of new. So, yeah, the only other thing is besides the GFP, which is the Good Food Project. Sorry, I chronomize a lot. I like that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, uh, and then the GBP, the Grocery Backing Program. All acronyms, they have to be three letters. Uh, we've got a couple of programs that have either been in hibernation throughout either the pandemic or the last year. Just, you know, we go, we're going through some transitions as an organization. We had the fire, yada, yada, yada. This coming year, 2024, the year that we are already in, uh, yeah, there gosh. will be some re-envisioned programs that will also require volunteer engagement and, and help. So okay. if you are at all interested in joining us please do, please check out our website. There will be ways to sign up and new information. Please sign up for any and all newsletters that you may be interested in. We just, we would love your support. We would love to hear from you. We would love to see you and work alongside you. We love it. Thank you for everything Thank that you you're doing. Everything. So good. Thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation. Don. Tressa! <laughs> hey! What a surprise! 
I know. I love just sneaking up on you like I that. know. Mm. I didn't see you there. I know. I know it. Well, I guess I know what this means. Tell me, Don. It's time. For? Uh, uh I don't know, because we have two segments that we do now. So what's this week going to be? <gasps> ding, 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 well, the listeners already ding, know. Do they? <laughs> do you ever listen to the show? I kind of tell, you know, I, I give it a little intro <laughs> and then there's music. The music sure. is different. Yeah. Sure, sure. But maybe someone is um, listening for the first. Mm-hmm. Well, I was trying to be funny. So mm. I know what's happening, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Let's hope I'm better with the facts, the statements of fact I'm about to get on this week's episode. Oh, yeah. We all hope that. I'm going to give you your neighborhoods of choice. Okay. This day. Yes, ma'am. Millvale. Mm-hmm. Or Point Breeze. Ooh. Hmm. It's breezy. <laughs> Point Breezy. And, Don, because I continue to love you so. Oh. There are only three statements of fact. Three, three, three statements of fact. <laughs> oh, let's get started, shall let's, we? Let's, it's going to be, yeah. Let's not delay the inevitable. Let's, let's not. Let's jump in. Number one, if you're feeling funky and want to... Boy, <laughs> you know how I'm always feeling funky, Teresa. I thought I was going to get through it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. If you're feeling funky and want to try a cold brew that's been wildly fermented, look no further than Strange Roots Experimental Ales in this neighborhood. Well, you're going to go get funky in Millvale. I am going to go get funky in Millvale. (laughs) Woohoo! Bring in the noise, bring in the (laughs) funk. So, I mean, maybe I could just ask you, you, are you familiar with what wildly fermented is versus not? Yes. Oh, you are. I'm not going to, don't ask me to describe what it is. No, no, luckily I, I have some I know notes. the terminology. Yeah, but I was just curious if you might know. Mm-hmm. And I think some listeners might know, but I was not really familiar. So, Strange Roots. Now, this Millville location is the Ridge. They have three locations all together now. One also in Gibsonia and in New Kensington. Mm-hmm. As they say on their website, Strange Roots exists at the intersection of farmhouse brewing tradition and creative, locally driven experimentation. Hmm. Mm. Well put. <laughs> I'll let them know. Yeah. They should keep it on there. Yeah. And they even mention on their website, too, they use local ingredients, varying fermentation methods, and microflora. So, of course, Tressa wanted to learn more about sure. this. Sure. Let's just keep learning. Keep learning. So one way to put it, wild fermentation is when the beer in this case is put in contact with the air. And that's when naturally occurring yeast kickstarts the fermentation process. So we're talking about wild microbes. So they produce a huge number of chemicals that affect the flavors of what they ferment. And I found something, a comparison. This is actually something I found about wild fermentation on a site from Harvard. You may have heard of it. I'm familiar with their work. Yeah. Talking about, it's like when you're comparing wild fermentation versus not. If you're you're looking at dogs and if you get a purebred dog, Uh if you're thinking of it like if you were going to make bread or or beer, right, and you use a store-bought yeast packet, 
that's going to be your purebred dog, right? You know exactly what's in there, store-bought. But you do that wild fermentation, it's almost as they say, like a feral and undomesticated relative of the dog. Oh my goodness. Wow. Because that's actually interacting with other organisms in the ecosystem. There's going to be many more flavors, harder to control them. You may not really know what you're getting. Unpredictable. Unpredictable. The folks there at harvard.edu. Yeah. And at each of their locations, they have a unique restaurant partner who offers a full menu while the brewery is open. Love it. That's cool. That's a funky, cool connection. Sure is. Yeah. You're one for one. Nice. I accept. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. Shadyside Academy merged with the Arnold School for Boys in 1940, relocating to this neighborhood and forming the Academy's junior school where it still stands today. Let's, uh, let's give a shout to a shot to Point Breeze. And correct you are. Mm. Well done. I did always wonder, I never knew the history of Shadyside Academy. I guess why would I? I always wondered why it was called that yeah. and it is not located. In the Shadyside. Shadyside. <laughs> it did start there, however. Sure. So it was founded in a one-room schoolhouse in Shadyside in 1883 by members of the Shadyside Presbyterian Church. And then it, it added this junior school division. So initially it was just grades 7 through 12. So in 1909, they added that junior school, which was K through 6. And then in 1940, there it goes, merging and moving its junior school to South Braddock Avenue. There were seven acres there that the Arnold School for Boys had been located. Hmm. And folks may be more familiar with its Fox Chapel locations because it actually has three campuses in Fox Chapel and that one that is still in Point Breeze. It's the, the Breezy Side Academy now. They could do that. They could. Let's well, send an email. Would them. there be a Point Breeze <laughs> to, to changing the name it now? Oh. Mm-hmm. Can I take a half a point away for that? Oh, comment? no. Oh, I'm kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. Look at you two for two. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let's focus on that. And just like that, number three. Number three. I feel like I'm wildly fermenting over here. <laughs> you let me hit the air. Point breeze. <laughs> so much breeze. Oh, God. Oh, number three. I ain't your store-bought yeast over here. That's for darn certain. <laughs> you can't package that. Can't put this light under a bushel. Oh, number three. Headquartered on Grant Avenue in this neighborhood, Steel City Salt Company got its start when avid cook, pizzaiolo, and spice guru John Tarallo wanted to change the way people thought not only about food, but about salt, too. Um, that's, that's, that's try Millvale. <laughs> Hooray! Hey! He's three for three! Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, I hope there's some funky salt no, there in Millvale. I don't know if I, I don't know if funk is in here. Okay. Steel City Salt Company, purveyors of fine salts, spices, rubs, and blends. 
is a small family business that launched in 2014. They are now headquartered in Millvale and their storefront is there as well. Let's talk a little about John Tarallo and his journey, shall we? His goal was he set to find the most unique salts from around the world. Seems simple enough. And again, wanted people to start thinking about the flavoring for their foods, not Mm -hmm. just the food itself. So they offer a wide variety of smoked salts, spicy salts, truffle saturated, malt vinegar infused, and many other blends. But Don, they don't just do salt. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're also known for working with other whole and fresh ground spices and sugars. For example, they have a pumpkin pie spiced sugar as seen on the Today Show. So that's one of their famous ones. They have, they're in uh, retailers, restaurants all across the country. They're all over. So that's an interesting one that apparently has been quite popular. So it's salt, but then it's more than salt. I've heard this. Also... (laughs) Something I love, if you go to their website, they have a tab that is recipes. And you go on, and then they actually give you what you might think, some recipes. But it's really cool, like, how to use their salts and the blends that they have. So, for example, they have a recipe for Peruvian salt-crusted baked potato, dill pickle salted salmon, Creole blackened shrimp served with homemade pesto pasta, are just a few of them. It's like here... Grab our seasonings, and then here are some recipes that we've come up with for them. They have a whole bunch on there. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. John. Tressa. How does it feel? You've had a couple perfect scores in a row now. I know, that's crazy. I'm going to have to change it up. Is it too easy now? No, (laughs) no. Please don't. No, this is good. I kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, a delight as always. Yes, it was a wild and funky delight. Very exalting. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I just brought some flavor to the end of this oh, segment. Okay, okay. Thanks so much. Another perfect score for Don. Bravo. And on that note, we will be bringing this episode, episode 115, to a close. I am your host, Tressa Glover. Huge thanks to Greg Austin of 412 Food Rescue. Greg, thank you for all that you've done, all that you continue to do. And thank you to your team at 412 Food Rescue. Yins are good. Listeners, please be sure to check out our show notes for their website to get all the information and volunteer opportunities. And if you have something to share, please email us here, yinsaregood at gmail.com. Thank you for being here today. A reminder that we'll be back in two weeks. And I wish you joyful and grateful days. Until then, until next time, my friends, be safe, be kind, be good. Special thanks to Liz Fetchin, Don DiGiulio, and as always for our most fabulous artwork, Mike Rubino. 